0: He was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother, and there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Obviously, that's significant. We're in the middle of Jesus' miraculous ministry. This is the greatest possible miracle that you could imagine, a resurrection from the dead. And so it's going around now. It's well established everywhere Jesus goes that he's a miracle worker, and he's referred to here as a great prophet. But now... In absolute contrast to that, I'm not going to look at this miracle today. I want to see what happens next in in this passage. It says, And the disciples of John showed him all these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples. Now wait a minute. What did the disciples of John show him? All what things? What are the things in verse number 18 that would have been that John's disciples would have shown him. Mm -hmm. What's that? The miracles, all of the, the miraculous things that Jesus has been doing, how Jesus' fame has spread. But notice what John says next. So John calls unto him two of his disciples, and he sends them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? or look we for another? And when the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist hath sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. So what's the great irony of What's happening here? Somebody tell me. I mean, it's pretty, pretty stark. The what's so ironic about what has just taken place in this passage? Mike, Mike is uh, going to have to wait because you're so participative that I got to make you wait every other answer. Because, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. You're. you're I appreciate your participation. Yeah. So who's the, who's the one asking the question here? John the Baptist. So what's the irony? They're cousins. Yeah? Okay, so somebody summarize this. Re- like everything that's been said, put this in something pithy here. Were you going to say something? So John already knows this. And were you, you going to say something, Charlie? or. Oh. Yeah, we're right in the middle of it. The whole purpose of John's life is to tell people who Jesus is and what is he dealing with right now. What is John dealing with? Huh? Doubt. John's dealing with doubt. He's dealing with some uncertainty. And so what I want to talk to to you today about is dealing with doubt. If anybody should have known the answer to his doubts, John should have, should have known. He didn't, he didn't really need this, but apparently he did. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given us, and I pray that you'd help us today as we, as we study the scriptures, help us to be alert, help us to give them our full attention, and I pray that you'd encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. So doubt is something that all Christians need to be prepared to deal with and I think a passage like this is given to us for that very reason. Now sometimes people think, well if there were miracles all around me and if I got to see all the miracles and if I got to witness all of these things then that would settle my doubts. Well is that the case from what we know about the Scripture? No, it's not. There's many times where people were actually surrounded by miraculous happenings, they're witnessing things like this take place, and they have doubts now. Even even John now. There's a little bit more to the backstory, though. There's a little bit more to this backstory about John and where he is asking the question from. Does anybody know the condition that John the Baptist finds himself in here? What's that, Bill? That's right. He's in jail. In fact, if you look back at the parallel passage, uh, if you would. Take your Bibles and move back to, I think it's Matthew chapter 11. If you look at Matthew chapter 11, verse number 2. Now when John had heard in the prison, in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look? for another. I want to, let's let's talk about two things here. Let's think about this theologically why John may have had some doubts and then let's think of it practically and personally why John may have had some doubts. So let's start with the theological, Does, can anybody, why might John, this doubt might start creeping in his head from a theological standpoint. Go ahead, Bill. I think that's a great summary. John's expectations of Jesus were not being fulfilled. So the story wasn't turning out how John thought it was supposed to. He thought that Messiah was going to come and bring about the kingdom. Now, yes, there's miracles, there's all these things happening, but what what could John possibly be thinking now? I don't think he's doubting... Oh, go ahead. What we uh, about the that, uh, do, uh, being in the that the We'll get to that in a minute actually. That's actually going to reestablish John's faith. But, so you're right, that's an astute point. But let's get back to the, the idea of his doubt. So this is this messianic fulfillment is not coming according to his time frame. So possibly, John just hears about the miracles, that's great, you know, there's miracles, but are you the one who's supposed to come? Because on the one hand, these are miracles, so maybe what, what might John start to be thinking about Jesus? in his moment of doubt. Any idea? I mean, I don't think he's rejecting Jesus outright, but what doubt is coming into his mind, perhaps? Yeah, he could be thinking that. Well, maybe Jesus isn't the ultimate Messiah. Maybe he's like me. Maybe he's a prophet just like me. I think John could be thinking that. I don't think John is going to the worst-case scenario here, but he's just really uncertain. Have you ever faced doubts in your Christian life? I mean, right? Like doubts about, the, and there's different types of doubts, right? Like what types of doubts are there as a Christian that you, that you would face? What are the types of doubts that a person could face as a Christian? Yes, uh, Kathy? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Doubt that, you're really, that you've really been saved because you're looking at your life and you're like, boy, I'm really not that great after all. I, have I really been saved? That's a doubt that creeps into, that's a type of doubt that many Christians deal with. What other types of doubts are there? That people can wrestle with about as Christians. Yes? Right. Persecution. Right. You doubt the doubt the strength of your own faith, perhaps. That's a doubt that that Christians deal with. Yes, Mike. Yeah, a lot of people doubt that God God really loves and accepts them. Maybe maybe they do believe that they're saved, but they have a hard time really believing that the love of God for them. What other doubts? Yeah. Yeah, sure. The promises that he's, that he's made. These are doubts that people deal with. I think people might be a little too afraid to to go for it now. Go ahead. I was just waiting to see if it, maybe this is all just made up. Right. Maybe this is just a book of fables like uh, Iliad or Odyssey or right. any other ancient. Yeah. Like what makes the Bible really different from the Quran, or what makes Christianity really any different than Buddhism or all the world religions. I mean... Let's face it, can real Christians can real Christians have moments where they wrestle with doubts about the very belief in Christianity? Can they? Yeah, I think of course they can. John the Baptist here baptized Jesus, had the witness of the Holy Spirit and watched the Father say, "This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased," and he's wrestling with his doubts. As to who Christ even is. It's a serious, this is a serious moment of doubt in his life. And I think we especially need to be prepared for um, ourselves dealing with moments of doubt. We live in a culture where you see major evangelical figures deconstructing. That's the big, that's the popular term nowadays. People deconstructing their faith. They say, well, I used to believe this and, and now I don't. I believe part of the reason for that is that people have never been given the opportunity to really express their doubts and have them dealt with and answered and wrestled with because it's like, well, we can't, we can't talk about that in some, some cases, not, every, not, not in all, but in some cases people just don't feel comfortable talking about that. And we would hope that our children, that our church, that all of us would have that freedom to say, well, well, wait a minute, why do I believe this? now? I think there's, if if you'd like to take notes, I do think that there's two types of doubters. I think there are John the Baptist kind of doubters. They are believing doubters, right? There's something in there in all their heart. They say, "I want to believe. I I want to believe," but I've just got I'm just being attacked by these doubts. How many of you have ever been there, literally in your life before? Okay, yeah. It's like I I I I I. It's like the man that came to Jesus and he wants his son healed, and he says, "Lord." I believe! And then what does he say? But help my unbelief. It's this paradox there, where he says, I believe. I think it's almost like he's saying, I want to believe. Help. Just show me that I can. Show me that, this, that it's okay for me to believe. And that's why you'll find in the scriptures, and I'm going to show you a few a little bit later, but there are so many, I, I think one of the errors that sometimes Christians can make is they present the Bible and Christianity is a leap of blind faith, that, well, you just got to feel it and go, right? you just got to feel it and take the leap. But it's far more than that. If you study the Scriptures, there are so many reasoned arguments and explanations for why we can have confidence in what we believe. So dealing with doubt. So there's believing doubt, which is questions. I would define that as an open heart seeking the confirmation of the Lord an open heart, seeking the confirmation of the Lord. But then there's skeptical doubt. Skeptical doubt is a little bit different. And of course, the power of Christ and his word can break through even the skeptical doubters, which is awesome. But skeptical doubt is a little different because those are people that don't want to believe. Right? There's no desire to believe this. So, So it's not necessarily an open look at the evidence, but rather... A desire to doubt, and um, Ken and I had a, have a, a, an acquaintance, somebody that we've gotten to know that we've witnessed to, and uh, who's expressed a lot of doubts. And it's been, you know, it was on one hand encouraging to have a conversation, or on the other hand, a little discouraging because it was like a circle. Have you ever had conversations where you go in a circle where the, the person they almost like the fact that 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 the answer is not there. And so they'll go from question to question to question to question without really wrestling with any one answer. So I think there's two types of doubt. So now let's, let me ask you this. So I've talked a little bit. Now let's hear from you all. What, um, what are some, so- some sources of doubt? Maybe some situations or circumstances where d- doubt begins to creep in. Any, any sources of doubt in our lives? Deborah, did you have your hand up? It was like this. Like, I'm good. Like She's like, I saw this right here. All right, I'm going with it. Go ahead. Yeah. John's in prison, never expected. And I think like what Bill said, this wasn't how he expected things to go. I think for a lot of Christians, we we get saved, our life starts to go a certain way, and then maybe it takes a turn into a darker place, and we wonder, like, boy is this really what what I thought and I think that can be an open door for doubt to start to come in Mike what what were you gonna say what do you mean by that okay I think that's a good your environment as far as are you surrounded by other believers or are you surrounded by unbelief? That's a that's a good point. That has a powerful psychological effect on us. John's very isolated right now, right? Completely isolated. So I think that's right, that's a source for doubt. Kathy. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, that is just like John in prison. It's like, is this how it's supposed to happen? Trina? Yeah, absolutely. Somebody else, sources of doubt, yeah. So difference of opinion among Christians. Yeah. If I could just make a comment on that, I think that's why we actually do ourselves... Christianity, I think we do ourselves harm when we overemphasize the less important distinctions, right? Like when we make a... It's not that... I believe denominational distinctions are important because they deal with how you interpret the word. But we know that there are certain denominations that are completely... They've completely left the faith, but then there are others who we disagree on some important Bible doctrines, but they still have the core correct, the anchor correct. And when we maximize the minors, we, I think, send an, a confusing message to the world to say, well, you know, your Bible, your, that, that adds confusion. But then just truly false doctrine, like you're saying, that also causes doubts to come in. What else can uh, impact our doubts? or can be a source of doubt? Our your our own emotional condition, sure. I think you can think of a couple more. Anybody else? Some some sources of doubt. Well, one I think is... Um, go ahead. Um, this applies more to the younger people, but you your time in school.
1: I was actually going to say that. That's exactly
0: right. Education. So you're... Educational background is going to have an impact. So if 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 you're listening to an educational instructor or system that's um, that is bent on convincing you of one argument, that's going to have an effect on you. I I just push back a little bit on that. That's just younger people. I'll I'll be an educator. Right. Yeah. You know, we're not in a formal education system. In school, but we're all we're all being influenced with the intent of being educated. Yeah, I mean, as culture changes, it's because somebody's somebody's causing somebody's impacting the change, right? right? Deborah, would you could you get me a napkin from that back room there? Thank you. Um, one more that I think is is shouldn't be um underestimated, and that is a a prominent supposed Christian, whether prominent in our lives or prominent on the national or international stage, a prominent Christian, thank you, a prominent Christian who in some way or fashion is defects from the faith or falls away from the faith. That has an impact when somebody very famous, either walks away from the faith or proves themselves to have been living a sham life. We experienced this with it just a year ago or two, I can't, I'm losing track of time, but when the, the great well-known Christian apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who was celebrated as one of the greatest Christian apologists of our generation, after his death, lots of information came out that he was living a double life and he had behaved very, very immorally and This is somebody that I had read a lot, somebody that I'd quoted many times, and that hits you kind of hard when somebody that prominent reveals that. Now, in our, intellectually, I know well it shouldn't surprise me because the Bible s- predicted that that would happen. So how it affects, you know, but but then how it affects us emotionally and impacts our, our reasoning—it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's heavy, right? So these are all sources of the doubt, and you're like, boy, either. I didn't have any doubts before I came in, but you've sure really bolstered my doubts this morning, right? (laughs) Well, that was not the intention. However, the intention is to deal with it honestly. Now, what is the wrong way? Let's say somebody comes to us with doubts. What would be the wrong way to deal with that person? The absolute wrong way to deal with somebody who comes express. Do that a little louder. (laughs) Did you hear that? The like... Come on. All right? So somebody used words to describe. What's the... Right, like how could you ever believe that? How could you ever have that doubt? What is wrong with you? That's a great way to get somebody to retreat into isolation and never find the answers. What were you going to say, Mike? Harshly. Yeah, very harshly. To say that. Boy, I would, I would question if you're even a Christian if you're thinking that way. That would not be... It would not be a good way to deal with that situation. I think for most of us we kind of under, we 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 understand that, but um, that has happened to people many, many many times. Or I'll give you another one. Maybe not if somebody comes to us, but I think the way we engage the world, right? The way we engage the world can impact people's willingness to to express their doubts and deal with them. You say, what do you mean? Let me give you an example. I can remember a time where it was very common for people to say things like, how could you believe in evolution? You'd have to be, I've even heard, like, you know, not not here in our church necessarily or maybe some, maybe some traveling evangelist come through and say something a little outlandish in the past, but I never heard my dad say anything quite like this, but I have heard pastors or preachers say things like, You'd have to be an idiot to believe in evolution. You'd have to be a... You'd have, now, you might believe that in your heart, but what happens when you say that? What happens to the people listening to you? Sure. I can say that because I was an idiot until I was 25 years old. I, I, I hear what you're saying, that. and I don't... I'm not, I'm not... So the question is this, and I'm going to preach about this a little bit in the message today, about speaking the truth in love. There's an unintended consequence of that person who treats that topic that way, especially with young people, but not just young people, to Charlie's point. What happens to the whole crowd if I got up today and said, I'm going to tell you this morning three reasons why you'd have to be a complete idiot to believe in evolution, all right? That would be my topic. I might actually get a crowd, right? Like some people, they want to hear that kind of abrasive, you know, talk radio style kind of preaching. But what does that do to anyone in the the audience who may ever have some doubts? Yeah, well, for one thing, it's gonna immediately, immediately turn on their defense and say, Well, I'm not an idiot and I believe that. Right? And then I have to say, Well, yes, you are. <laughs> right? It's like this is a lose-lose from the beginning. But not just that, even people who may agree with me at the moment, because I have known people like this. They might be the loudest people to say, that's right, that's right, that's right, only for several years later in their life. I, I can, I can think of, I can, I could give you names today of very people that at one point in their life would have had that approach and today would not claim to believe any of what the scriptures say. It's interesting because what that does is it creates a, I don't, I don't reject evolution because I'm smart. There are people way smarter than me who believe lots of unbiblical things. Very smart. They have the wisdom of this world. They have better intellect than me, higher IQ than me. They're more capable than me. They could give a better presentation than me. There are very, I believe that, well, I'm going to give you the reasons how we deal with doubt here at the, at the end. But the point is this, when you set up a, what, what is that called? An ad, that's an ad hominem attack? Is that what they call that? You, you're backing me up there. When you attack the person or the, you're undermining your entire argument and you're communicating to all the people out there, your kids, my kids, whoever, whoever's under the sound of your voice, you're commuting to all those people that we're not willing to ever talk about this. It's an us versus them attitude that says, yeah. And so there are churches all across the world where young people have walked away from the faith and they've never even felt that they could even talk to a leader in their church. Right? Because of that kind of attitude about this. You say, "Well, I just think it's right." Well, let's look at how Jesus deals with this. So Jesus, so back to the text, Luke 7 Now, this is really cool. A couple of things take place here. Um, What verse? 21. 22. Then Jesus answering said unto them, These are the people from John the Baptist Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen and heard. How the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised to the poor. The gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now you're like, wait a minute. If you're reading this, you're like, wait a minute. John already knew this. Yes or no? True or false? John already knew all these things. He did. Why? How did he know? Because the messengers literally had just told him. So I'm like, wow, Jesus is doing miracles. Hey, John, Jesus is doing lots of miracles. Well, go ask. Go ask. So we go, we ask Jesus, and he says, go tell John about all these miracles. (laughs) Do you see what just happened there? But Jesus isn't just telling about the miracles. Jim, you know what he's doing. What's he doing here? Because you said it earlier. Exactly Exactly right. He's taking these miracles, but he's he's presenting them in a way that is referencing the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. You find these in Isaiah 35. In fact, here, look at them really quick. Look, just turn with me real fast to Isaiah 35. And there, it's not one passage, it's multiple passages. So back to Isaiah chapter 35. Verses, uh, pick it up in Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a feeble." fearful heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, he will come and save you, that's messianic, right, very messianic, now pick it up in verse number 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as a heart, the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Also Isaiah 61, if you want to turn forward. Isaiah 61 and verse number 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of prison to them that are bound, to proclaim The acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. These are, Jesus also quoted this passage in Luke chapter four, and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled. That was in the synagogue. So throughout Jesus' ministry, he's been linking his miracles not just to, look, I did a cool trick. That, that wasn't the point. The point was he's fulfilling these prophecies in Isaiah. So what he says to this, what he said, and then there's also the prophecies about, I lay in Zion a cornerstone that some people would, he would be a foundation, but to other people he would be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Jesus is quoting all of these these scriptures. He's quoting the scripture to John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist thinks about the miracles, now of course this whole thing about the strong arm and the victory and the conquering the nations hasn't come to pass, but John now remembers, that's right, Jesus says, all these scriptures, don't stumble, John. Don't stumble because I'm fulfilling the scriptures. That's what it means to be offended. It means to to, to stumble over the stumbling block. Don't be offended, John. Don't stumble at this because the scripture is being fulfilled. And now this is really cool. Verse 24, and when the messengers of John were departed, this, I get, I just... We get Jesus' message, and now we get Jesus' attitude. Back in Luke chapter seven, so we saw Jesus' message, and now we see his attitude. I, I, if it was me, go tell John what the scriptures say. I mean, don't you have these memorized, John? Don't you know? They all walk away. I'm going back to try. I'm like, Can you believe that guy, John Baptist? Like, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to get this guy to? I mean, he? but that's not what happens. When the messengers of John were departed, verse 24, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. Ooh, ooh, what's he going to say about this guy who had some doubts? What went ye out in the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But when, what went ye out for to see? When you came to see John, you came to see a what? It's there. Were you, were you reading along with me? He says, you came... I like to see here, alright? So, I'm at the end of... I'm I'm in verse 26. But what went ye out for to see? If you went to see John, you went to see a what? A prophet. Yea, and Jesus says, and I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women... There is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Now, there's a theological reason. There's an argumentative reason for why he's doing this. He's going to, and we don't have time to follow that track. There's a little bit more to it. However, he praises John the Baptist. I mean, he gushes over him. And he says, that man, the guy that just came Sent messengers expressing his doubt. Jesus says that was the greatest prophet. Now, again, the, the part of the reason is because if John's message is true, then the message of Jesus is true. But, but I wanted you to see in this the attitude of Jesus toward John. How does he deal with the one who expresses his doubt? He deals patiently with him. Biblically, he deals scripturally and biblically, but very, very graciously. May we be the same way. So, that means we need to get to the important part, and I only have three minutes. And I have three statements, so we'll see if we can do one minute per statement. And some supporting references. So, how do we deal with the doubts that come? Well, as I wrestled with this through my, and not in a severe way, but I wrestled with this in my 20s and early 30s, just, just, and when I say wrestle, it's not that I came to a crisis of faith per se, it's that I wanted better answers, and I wrestled with, with, I wanted if somebody came to me and said, well, why do you believe what you believe? I wanted to just be like, here's why. It took a little bit of time, but this would be my personal statement of belief, and I have three, there's three, if it's a, if it's, if there's three legs to the stool, these are the three things that have bolstered my faith when it comes to serious any serious doubts that would come and you could say there's you could express this different ways but i'd say there's three witnesses there's three witnesses that for me in that moment lord i believe helped down my unbelief the three witnesses would first of all if you say why do you believe christianity first of all it would be the witness of the resurrection of jesus the witness of the resurrection of jesus If you deny, and many books have been written on this, but if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, you must posit an alternative explanation for how this whole thing called Christianity got started. Because we have this amazing movement with thousands of years of history and transformed lives and, and a transformed globe. And if this did not all start with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and those who claimed it, then you have to posit a much better alternative. And I have not found any of the alternative explanations to be compelling in the least. There's a lot in that statement, right? There's like a lot of studying to be done behind that. But just suffice it to that say, there is enough evidence, there is enough evidence for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth to, number one, build my confidence and in fact, the reference I would give you is 1 Corinthians 15. We try to study this passage at least once a year as we get closer to Easter. Um, so we'll try to take some time to do that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a key passage on Paul's defense of the resurrection. Okay? Number one is the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. Number two is the witness of the scriptures, or the witness of the word of God. In other words, when we start from the presupposition that we have a creator, that in some ways he's revealed himself to us, the, philosophically, there are no better answers to the big why questions of life than what are found in the scriptures. If you want the answers for meaning if you want the answers for what is wrong with the world if you want the answers for what is right with the world if you want the answers for relationships if you want to understand the human condition there are no better explanations that just ring true to our human experience than what you find in the bible so so number one would be the witness of the resurrection of jesus secondly the witness of the word and that it just rings true to life okay now those are two are either of those proofs? No, you cannot prove history. You can only present evidence. So, so we're not talking about proof here. We're talking about evidence. So those are the two key pieces of evidence. And then third is supernatural. The third is supernatural. And we do not discount that because no one is, is reasoned into faith in Christ. There are reasonable arguments that are made that should be made. but ultimately it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So that is the third witness. He is the third witness, it's the Holy Spirit. So three things, the resurrection of Jesus, the witness of the Word of God, and then the working the witness of the Holy Spirit in my life, where the scripture says, so so text on that is Romans 8:14 through16. Romans eight fourteen through 16, that his spirit bears witness with my spirit that, that I am a son of God. You put those three things together, and I have, a, I have found a powerful bolster to my faith in dealing with moments of doubt. I went a minute and a half over, so I'm going to end right there rather abruptly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the time that we've had. I just pray that you'd help all of us. Lord, we know that we're going to deal with seasons of doubt, just like the saints of old did. So I pray that you'd help us to use your word, use your truth, and, and Lord, Holy Spirit, thank you for ministering to us in these times. We pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.